politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, scorned and forgotten peaceful taxpayers. You might not be looting, robbing, beating and stealing and rioting, but you still matter to us here at Conservative Review, Blaze Media. Daniel Horowitz back in the house on Tuesday, June 23rd. And we got a lot to talk about as usual. I had a busy day here because I had to watch all my kids and the baby because once one of them has a doctor's appointment, well, my wife can't bring them all along. So it's been chaotic. And while we continue to have these draconian restrictions, some of them are private institutions, some of them are public edicts, they continue to pour over our border. And we talked about that a lot yesterday. If you haven't heard the show, make sure you listen to Monday's show first because I really present to you the foundation for what's happening at our border where the only serious cases that we really do have in this country now that are causing new deaths are coming from Mexico while we are locked down. And again, anarchy, tyranny. That's the theme. If you are not one of the protected classes, you don't have unalienable rights. If you are, you have super rights, and you have rights to even harm others. A lot of other people are finally asking the question that I've been asking for years. Where are the so-called conservative leaders? It's actually an article at The Federalist, um, and I'm glad others are asking that question. And we're certainly not seeing that. You have Senator Mike Lee, was was promised to be one of those conservative leaders, He was saying that there's valid grievances to those that are rioting. Really? I mean, this is what is happening now. Republicans literally service the mob. There was a video yesterday, a horrific video, of a bunch of rioters throwing firecrackers at a homeless man sleeping on the ground. And I was thinking to myself, it is those people that are now dictating our policy. It is those people that control the Republican Party. Notice whatever happens now. Yes, the blacks. Yes, we need to do this. Let's talk about history. Let's talk about renaming uh, military bases, renaming this. Uh, Let's go and use a carrot and stick approach on the states to get them to weaken their police rather than a carrot and stick approach for them to stop the anarchy and strengthen policing, strengthening uh, sentencing of repeat violent offenders, people who violate parole, gun felons. Where is that bold contrast? And the reality is, we need a new party, we need a new movement. But in the meantime, the short term, all we can do is push the one man who is regarded as the conservative leader, whether whether he is or not. He's regarded as such by the left, by the right. Donald Trump is the president. Okay, not after November, he's president now. And we need to make him stick, make his stuff stick. So that means two steps. Number one, directing him to the right legislative, budgetary, and executive actions. And number two, making sure that once he even promulgates them, that he sees it through and has the right staff and oversight and oversight from conservatives on the outside to make sure it sticks. And I'm going to talk about where it's not sticking But I first want to use an example of something that appears to be headed in the right direction as as a way of understanding how we we could do things right. So obviously, we have very few good nuggets of news to report on 
in recent months. I mean, it's it's been god-awful. The worst, politically speaking, the worst time of our lives. The one good news that came out of yesterday is finally, finally, the president is putting teeth into this immigration moratorium. Originally, it was only um, for 60 days, which anyway, we had a virus, we had a lockdown, um, there were a lot of exemptions, and it didn't include the worker visas. Now he has cut off all H-1B visas, L visas, H-4 visas, a couple of other categories. And he's doing it for the remainder of the year for now. So that that is something. It's significant. Um, our allies in the administration worked hard to make this happen. The president clearly wanted it. And he actually fought for it. Now we have to make sure like anything else it sticks. But for now at least it's something. This is truly a half a loaf. It's not like the 1% we typically get. Which is not even worth it. Because then the talking point winds up making it worse and we don't fight for anything else and often it gets worse like it was originally, this truly is a half a loaf. Now, we don't have F visas on there, which we really need is the students, the universities. We need to go after them for more reasons than one. Foreign students, that's a big one. But one at a time. So this gives us a beachhead to launch further and, and it's something to celebrate and it, 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 is, it is good news. But as we noted... There's a lot of things the president can do. And he indulges, he tweets, but he doesn't act. He tweets law and order. We continue to have these lynchings, these roadblocks. We have the dismantling of federal property and statues and, and monuments. And the president's like, I'm going to prosecute them under the federal statute that uh, has mandatory of 10 years for those that destroy them. I think the president needs to push Congress to make this stronger. Oh, we're gonna send in. I'm gonna send in federal um, law enforcement to protect these monuments. I, I want to see it done. Okay, we we we've been doing this for three and a half years. We have to make this done. I mean, the attorney general promised lawsuits against Corona fascism. We haven't seen a single one. He has promised to prosecute the rioters under federal terrorism charges. We haven't seen a single one. So we got to make it stick. Make it stick, Mr. President. Make it stick. That's the key here. The fact that we could even get to a point where a stone throws away from the White House, they already have ropes and graffiti around Andrew Jackson's statue. And finally, when they're just about to topple it, the federal, whatever, the the, the park police come in that shows there's a problem. This shouldn't get off the ground. The president tweets out, oh, you know, we're not going to have an autonomous zone in Washington. Well, dude, you're not mayor of Washington. You are president of the United States. That statement should hold true of everywhere in the country. We could debate over how much the feds should get involved in localized crime, but when you have autonomous zones and insurrection... And the locals don't do anything to deal with it. That is literally in the Constitution, certainly the 14th Amendment, and then really codified in the 1871 Insurrection Act. That needs to be dealt with. Okay? This is something that needs to be dealt with in every state. Stop threatening and start doing. And you see, when, when, when the president is pushed, 
I mean, I'm not going to sit and try to explain the psychology of this president. It's really tough. But, um, you know, he clearly on some level does want to do the right thing. But we can't hope for it. We have to demand it. We have to demand he follows through with it. This has gone on too long. You know, we have a 300% increase in shootings in Minneapolis. See, this is what you won't hear. Floyd, George Floyd. Do you know how many George Floyds there have been as a result of the insurrection, supposedly for justice for him? Do you know how many people have been lynched, beaten? Do you know how many blacks have been killed in Chicago, New York, Minneapolis? 1,600 shootings. That's a 300% increase. This is over a 30-day period. I think May 23rd to June 23rd. 300% increase over the same period in 2019. Again, Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1 of the Constitution prohibits states from violating core natural rights, right? From the privileges and immunities of Americans. States cannot do that. They cannot, they have to protect your life, liberty, and property. 14th Amendment took that privileges and immunities clause and gave the federal government enforcement power, gave Congress the power to write statutes that when either there's insurrection taking place in the states or there is violence and suspension of liberty and property rights for the federal government to come in. In 1871, Congress wrote the enacting legislation of the 14th Amendment. It is codified to this day in 10 U.S.C. um, uh, 250, 253, you can look it up, 10 U.S. Code 253. It's still on the books. It was actually amended it because they added natural disasters and terrorism along with insurrection to give the federal government power to come in. And I've been saying this both with the lockdowns and both with the rioting. States are crushing our lives with anarchy and tyranny. This is unprecedented. There is a role for the federal government. Again, let's read the the... The U.S. The, the the statute, and remember, I'm going to put out a list of things the president should push legislatively, and then leverage his veto pen on the budget bill to ensure that at least some of them are included in the budget. We could talk about that, but then there are things that he already has power to do under existing statute, 10 U.S.C. 253. Quote: The president, by using the militia or the armed forces or both or by any other means, shall take such measures as he considers necessary to suppress in a state any insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, or conspiracy if it, one, so hinders the execution of the laws of the state and of the United States within a state that any part or class of its people is deprived of a right, privilege, immunity, or protection named in the Constitution secured by law, and the constituted authorities of that state are unable, fail, or refuse to protect that right, privilege, or immunity, or to give that protection, or two, opposes or obstructs the execution of the laws of the United States or impedes the course of justice under those laws. They're blocking interstate highways. They're, they're destroying federal property. They're destroying private property. They're destroying people's businesses. People are scared to walk around. This has gone on long enough. And again, I want, I want to be very clear here. 10 USC 253. A lot of people are quoting different statutes or, or other sections of the Constitution, like Article 4, Section 4, with, which seems to indicate you need the state permission to call in federal help. 
the 14th Amendment and then actualized in that 1871 act is a newer, updated version of that. And not only don't you need the permission, in fact, it was designed when the states are recalcitrant. Hence, I mean, the Civil War. I mean, it was a response to the Civil War. If we're going to sit and relitigate the Civil War, we may as well use the, the statute. So that's the thing. The president needs to make it stick. And I want to talk about where it's not sticking. I think the president in his own mind did think he was doing good on the border, that finally, 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 it was way too late. If you remember, we were yelling for two months from mid-January through mid to late March, you got to shut down the border. We were letting Chinese nationals in at the border two months after we knew about the virus, at least. Who knows when our government knew about it. Finally, finally, I believe it was March 18th, finally they shut the border. And they said, anyone who doesn't come with proper documentation cannot come over the border. Now, you might be scratching your head. Well, wait a minute. If you don't have proper documentation, we should always turn you back. Well, yeah, I mean, we should have, but it took this to do it, and finally we did it. Now, it doesn't mean illegal immigrants aren't still coming between the ports of entry to some degree and that you know we don't have the right deterrent there and the right technique with Border Patrol, and we talked about that a lot last year. That's a different discussion. But that was shut down legitimately. The asylum scam, as of now, has pretty much been shut down. But as we noted yesterday, there is another scam going on. The entire purpose of this was to ensure that we don't bring COVID over an international border. That is the first thing you do in an epidemic, and it's the most auspicious thing you can do. It's the, th- it's the I- human input that has the most impact. Once you let it into your country, it, you're really very limited, as we see, in what you can do. Okay, if I have time, I'll read you an article. A new study came out that shows that the initial COVID infection rate may have been 80 times greater than initially reported. And that means because we let it into the country crazily. You want to know why Norway and Iceland and Israel didn't get as bad as like, you know, the bigger Western countries do is just because of the sheer amount of travel we have from China and the number of people we brought in stupidly even after we knew about it. So once you do that, you ain't going to lock down anything. But as we noted, so we had it from China. It ran its course. And we were on the mend in May. Beginning around mid to late May, when America was already down the epidemiological curve, but Latin America was still at its peak, a bunch of people with serious cases from Mexico who are dual citizens and green card holders. And, and, and remember, this mixes in a lot with illegal immigration. They all finagle themselves with status. The anchor babies, they get a kid with status. So the whole thing is just mixed together. And they come to a port of entry. And originally we said that you had to have, let's say you're a green card holder or something, you had to be an essential person. So to begin with, they were really interpreting that very liberally. This is another example of where Trump issues an edict and you don't have the manpower in place to see it through. And you have these deep state type of port directors that just tell him to wave them through. Remember, this is not Border Patrol. This is Customs. This is, um, it's called OFO, 
Office of Field Operations. Right? They man the airports, but they also man the land por- ports. Any American would think if we are taking people's temperature to get on a plane, if we are testing people to go back to work, to go to a hospital, if we are shutting down Americans, you would think at a minimum we would be taking the temperature and really testing. I mean, if we're if we're now having a national obsession with testing, you would certainly test foreign nationals coming into our country. I mean, that, that, that would be a no-brainer, right? Well, we're not testing them. I heard from my sources, we're not testing them. Not only are we not testing them, they come directly with a serious case of COVID and we let them in. We let them in. So I understand the president was focused on immigration and immigration enforcement doesn't mean shutting off the border to people with valid documentation. I get that. But this is no longer about immigration. It's about the virus. It's not long-term immigration policy to keep out dual citizens or green card holders. It's, it's, dude, it's the virus. I mean, if you're telling me in Mission, Texas, they now have a curfew where you can't travel in America outside your freaking home at night, then you better believe you can't travel from Mexico to America, even if you're a dual citizen. That, that should be obvious. That, that message needs to get to the president. I'm going to try to deliver it as much as I can today. But I'm also hearing there's another subterfuge going on too. So I wanted to update you on something I didn't talk about yesterday. In addition to green card holders, there's people with border passes or other visas. So generally speaking, we're not going to let them in. What do they do? All these NGOs, these left-wing open border groups that operate at the border and have tremendous manpower and resources and connections to the government, they worked out with the port authorities that they're, they're having plasma donors. Oh, we're, we're, we're helping COVID. So you have all these people line up at the port from Mexico, and they say, we're coming to donate plasma. And the sick irony is a lot of them have COVID and... They're coming to use our hospitals. Everyone's asking me, Daniel, write a piece on Texas like you did on Florida. Well, this is what's happening in Texas. Or one of the factors, one of the biggest factors, and certainly the most serious factor, bringing in the serious cases that need ICU admissions and are causing some of the new deaths at the border towns. So the green card holders and the dual citizens we're bringing in up front, but... Those that are have other visas or border passes, border cards, they have this whole game and they come in and sometimes they come in multiple times and they're not even keeping track. The sick irony is a lot of them couldn't don't they couldn't donate because they're infected. It needs to be stopped. How is it that we're not testing people at the border? I, I just I, I don't get it. If the president would only know, this is what we need a movement for. To make it stick. Stop tweeting, you're president. Make it happen. By the way, from my same sources I'm hearing, um, because they work in Border Patrol Intel, and they get the same stuff as DEA, FBI, all the alphabet soup agencies. So they rely on private intel agencies to monitor trouble. 
a lot of them are run by people like Stanley McChrystal, these like deep state left-wing generals. They get into this stuff. And he told me, like, my network Blaze is is flagged. They're focusing on right-wing terrorism now. People like you and me. They're not worried about Antifa. They're not worried about BLM. They're not worried about the anarchy and the communism. It's that and ISIS. They're always obsessed with ISIS, which is a whole other story. That's our government for you. I mean, this is not changing. And if we can't make it work now, don't tell me, oh my gosh, the most important and only thing we can do is reelect Trump. Well, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, either you're the most powerful person in the world or you're impotent. I mean, it's not going to change in a second term. I'm sorry to disappoint you. There's no short circuit. There's no shortcut to creating a movement. And that's what we need. So the president needs to make it stick. One more point on this making it stick before we go back to some of the virus news. It's from the um, New York Post. Trump supports second very generous coronavirus stimulus package. President Trump said he supported the idea of giving Americans a very generous second round of financial aid to counter the effect of shutdowns amid the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, we will be doing another stimulus package. It will be very, very good and generous. The president told Scripps Networks on Monday adding that the bipartisan measure would probably come over the next couple of weeks. Um, Folks, again, either provide a bold contrast or resign. This is paying people not to work? What? Stop the shutdown instead of servicing and, and validating and fueling and elongating and purveying the shutdown. This is what I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Also, another thing I don't think anyone has explained to the president. Notice all these people have now made it their full-time job. In almost every city of the country. To occupy streets. Well, a lot of you might be saying, well, what the hell do you do for a living? Well, dude, between the stupid unemployment thing that he signed... And blasted Thomas Massey for trying to warn him about its effects. As well as the handouts. Dude, why do people need to work? I mean, in my county, they're giving people free three meals a day. So I'm at more money? You're literally paying Antifa's army. So Trump got roped into jailbreak. So you let out their army. And then you go and ensure they don't need a job. And they could basically riot and work on insurrection and turning America into Venezuela more than ever. Sometimes this man without guidance is not only reluctant to fulfill his promises, but he, in Orwellian fashion, he does the opposite. And again, what about this virus? The president needs to start speaking the truth about it. We were lied to. It's funny, they keep grasping on a straw. Well, maybe this or this person could die. They keep taking it down 20 levels, but if you would start where we are now, would anyone have supported in March a lockdown had you told them the infection fatality rate is between 0.1 and 0.2, but by the way, that includes nursing homes, which are 0.6% of the population, but responsible for at least half of the deaths. So outside of it, it's much lower, and outside of certain conditions and maybe above 80, much less above 60, 
it's one or two decimal points over, we would have never done this as a society. Even if lockdowns would help, which they don't. We were lied to. There's every day, you got to follow me on Twitter because I don't have time to write articles. I'm going to have a few more articles on this. But um, this thing we find out is more and more widespread. It's spread to more people than we think. And therefore, two things. Number one, it means we're closer to herd immunity than we think. Number two, it means it is much less deadly than we think. You know, just this week, or last week, Tyson Foods tested six plants in um, meatpacking plants in Arkansas. They're in Benton and Washington counties. And they found that 95% of the people that tested positive were asymptomatic. Okay, I mean, this is a big deal. AP puts out an article, hundreds test positive at Tyson's plant in Arkansas. So people panic, oh, there's cases, there's cases. But so what if there's more cases? That, that proves our point. The bigger headline is that 95% of them what is it, 455 out of 481 were asymptomatic. And, and I didn't, there's no indication that any of the 26 were positive were taken to the hospital. They could have been just mildly symptomatic. In one facility, 223 out of 227, almost every last person was asymptomatic. I mean, that, that's a big deal. Again, a lot of cases... Few deaths. Remember, CDC was working off of a 35% asymptomatic rate. But we now know that's not true. Some studies estimate at 80%. An Italian study says 70% under the age of 60. Most studies show it's 95% of all infections are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. If you add the two together, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And again, the IFR is much, much lower then. So I want to go over how we know that the universe of people already infected is much bigger than we think. But I first want to say a very interesting point here. I want to deviate a little bit here. A lot of people are talking about the, you know, oh, well, aren't there increased hospitalizations in Texas and some other states? Well, so number one, the ones that seriously are with COVID, it's from the border. But beyond that, folks, what's starting to happen now is two things. So number one, I've, I've, been, I've already said this a few times. It should be obvious by now. The same way we had deaths because of COVID versus deaths with COVID, we have hospitalizations with COVID or because of COVID. Everyone who goes to the hospital is tested. Well, if 10% of people have, have, have um, COVID, then 10% of people in the hospital will have COVID. And frankly, you're more likely to catch it there once it's there. So it will be even higher than the general population. But you're not initially coming for that. We weren't testing people before. Now we are. So if you're there for a kidney stone, if you're there for a car accident, a broken bone, the onset of a heart attack or um, cancer treatment or a stroke, you're going to be tested. And I'm not even getting into the incentive for a hospital to get an extra $13,000 out of Medicare or, or Medicaid 
to code that as a COVID patient. So that's number one. Again, now that we know that there's a massive universe of asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic, 95% is much bigger, and it's not being picked up by the antibodies, by the serology tests, because a lot of them don't produce it. Okay? Now you add universal testing, and then you add the fact that people are coming back to the hospitals where they weren't there during the peak, and they're likely coming back in even greater numbers to make up for that lost period of time. You're, you know, statistically, you would think, you know, let's say we had a certain average number of patients in January, February, then March, all hell broke loose. So April and into May, it went down a lot. But then when we started opening up, you would expect by now, you'll likely have even more people in ERs and certainly ORs than you did in January and February. That's an entire universe of COVID patients, but they're not really COVID patients. And one more point that I think is true going on here. Oh, by the way, just before that, I don't have the clip with me to play, but the Rhode Island, maybe I'll put this out uh, tomorrow, the Rhode Island health director actually said this blatantly. So it's not even just like the red states, the southern states that didn't have so many things and maybe now the curve is kind of bouncing back because they didn't, you know, not enough people got herd immunity. But even in hard hit Rhode Island, New England, they're seeing that there too. So the health director, and she it's a Democrat administration, she was like, look, um, people come in with a broken ankle and that's now a COVID patient because they test positive. She actually said that directly. So I'm not making this up here. But then also, I want to come back to the IFR. You guys who listen to this show regularly are steeped in this stuff. Um, I'm getting a lot of emails from you guys, very smart observations, questions. You really get this. You guys are in the top 001% of the country. Most people still don't get it, and I don't blame them. I mean, if you're even a younger person, this is the thing that led to the shutdown of the world. The biggest validation that this is the bubonic plague is our reaction to it. It's so incongruent that your brain couldn't think it was such a lie and a scandal. It must be, God, this is really serious. So for months, all these young people were getting asymptomatic, or let's take it a level further, even mildly symptomatic, or even very symptomatic. You got a terrible flu. But folks, when was the last time, unless you have a certain really, or you know, someone is undergoing cancer treatments or whatever, or, or they have certain conditions, when was the last time you ever thought, you know what, I might need to go to the hospital? Now, if you're getting pneumonia and you have trouble breathing, okay, that's a different story. But how many are coming into the hospital where they're really trouble breathing? Versus, so again, we talked about those that aren't coming in at all for COVID, but I think some of the younger people, it's now hitting younger people, I think some of them are probably coming in because of COVID because the ones that are presenting, they have a fever, they have a cough. Now, how many times in your life have you had a fever and cough? Even in the summer. You know, I've gotten sick in the summer before. Gotten a couple of days of fever. I don't, I'm not prone to sickness that much, but like anyone else, I'll get it. You would never think about going to a hospital. It's nothing you can't handle. You don't think you're going to die. But I can't blame people. Like, and, and before, in March, those people, especially if you're younger, whatever, it's the flu. You weren't being tested. Now you can get tested anywhere. So they go tested, get tested at their pediatrician if they're young. Um, well, not well, 
it's not so much kids that seem to be getting it, but young adults, they go to their internist, they go to their doctor, um, or they go to the, one of these testing sites. Holy hell, I'm positive for COVID. I got COVID. This is the thing that destroyed the world. And now I'm coughing. I got a fever. You're headed to a hospital. And you know what? I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So they don't know what to do with them. They kind of, they put them under observation, whatever. Everyone's being careful now. Also, you know, in the past, hospitals would have left you out the door. Now, if they get an extra reimbursement, heck, they'll take it. They'll take it. So they'll kind of leave you there. But that's why you're not seeing it in the ICUs. You're not seeing it with the ventilators. And that's probably what's happening here. And my fear is the more you have of that, the more you could have hospital transfer and it does, you know, grow. But that is likely what is happening here. Because we're overblowing it. We're not putting out to the people that look, you know, again, the, the, the red line is when you have trouble breathing and you know when you do. When I say trouble breathing, I don't mean like conversationally. You know, sometimes you have a stuffed up nose, a cold or a flu, like I can't breathe. But of course you could breathe. It's just, it's uncomfortable. Um, you know that difference. I mean, I, I don't know what it feels like. I've never had it, but it's pretty obvious. So then, yeah, that's when you go to the hospital. I, I really don't, I am I doubt that is happening much in the country now. Yesterday, we set another record. Low, 285 deaths. The lowest since it started. Two and a half weeks after this already. Now, today, of course, is going to be higher. Tuesday is always the highest day. Monday is the lowest day. But we'll have to compare it to other Tuesdays. Every seven-day rolling average has been lower and lower, usually by, by 15 to 25%. That's why. It's spreading mainly asymptomatically, mildly symptomatically. Younger people, the viral loads have gotten less. That's what people need to hear. And folks, now that we see how many are asymptomatic when we test, you can imagine how wide the universe is. Most serology tests indicate that we're about 10 to 15% in a given area of people who have been infected. Okay? But now we know a University of California study, quote, growing evidence suggests that asymptomatic and mild SARS-CoV-2 infections together comprising more than 95% of all infections may be associated with lower antibody titers than severe infections. They estimated that only 40% of asymptomatic patients would retain antibodies for 180 days, 60% of mildly symptomatic, and 95% of severe cases. So that's the majority of asymptomatic, and even 40% of mildly symptomatic will lose antibodies. So you're not going to pick up all those people that had it in January, February. You're not going to pick them up. A study from China published in Nature Medicine estimates that also 40% of asymptomatic individuals became seronegative, meaning no, no uh, detected antibodies, and 12.9% of symptomatic. So even some of the symptomatic became negative for IgG in the early convalescent phase. A study from the University of Zurich found a close relationship between the severity of viral infections and the degree of antibodies produced, and it's almost like a, a, a direct linear um, relationship. So um, the more severe you had it, in other words, if you had uh, severe respiratory problems like trouble breathing, then you really had very evident antibodies. You go down from there, 
the antibodies go down. But we know those are the rare cases. The, the, the most cases are the least or zero symptoms. So you, you could literally be talking about doubling, tripling the size of the population that already had it. Okay? And then obviously we have all the people that warded off with T-cells. So in other words, they never had antibodies. It's not like they lost it. A bunch of them never never had antibodies. A brand new preprint just came out from researchers at Strasbourg University Hospitals in France that a downright a majority of the mildly symptomatic patients, they studied six out of eight household spreads that they looked at that presented mildly, not asymptomatically, but mildly. So they know they had it. They know they definitely had it. And then they tested them. There were no antibodies, but but they had a way of showing that the T-cells were active. They concluded, quote, that epidemiological data relying only on the detection of SARS-CoV-2 antibodies may lead to substantial underestimation of prior exposure to the virus. What this all tells you, now, some of you might be asking, oh, so if you don't have antibodies, does it mean you could be infected? That's a different discussion, whether you could be reinfected. Are you immune even if you don't present? The the indication seems to be yes, you still are immune, just simply by the fact that we've had millions upon millions of infections, and there is no documented case yet of a reinfection. Now, it's still a little bit early. It still needs to be studied. And it's, again... Avoid extremes. Avoid never, always. Like, you can never get reinfected. But it it does seem pretty likely that the fact that we haven't discovered reinfection, at least at least in the short run, you are immune, even, even asymptomatically. And again, as I said yesterday, even if you're not officially immune, it's most likely garbage in, garbage out. If your body was able to ward it off um, with the inherent immune system... Time number one, there's certainly no, I mean, to my knowledge, no reason why it would do it again. If anything, I would think you'd be in a stronger position um, if you're not, you know, even if you're not completely immune. If you could officially test positive, um, the notion that you'll, you'll get very sick a second time seems to be very unlikely. But either way, what we can for sure prove is that this has spread far and wide. Meaning the CDC, according to the CDC, about 35 million or so have had it. Likely 12% or so. But, but, but really, I, I'd, I'd bet we're more at 20%. Which means we're probably getting pretty close to what most believe is the herd immunity threshold for this virus because of its heterogeneous nature, because of the cross immunity. Again, some places you might have to get to 40%. It's going to re- depend on if you're in an area that had the type of coronavirus colds that were common and cross immunity other factors we'll find that out but what does this all show that if you had the proper denominator and then you take out senior care facilities dude come on and then how many people really died of covid versus with covid this is ridiculous utterly ridiculous take a look at this Penn State just came out with a study. Okay, this is from Penn State's website. Many epidemiologists believe that the initial COVID-19 infection rate was undercounted 
due to testing issues, asymptomatic and alternatively symptomatic individuals and a failure to identify early cases. Now a new study from Penn State estimates that the number of early COVID-19 cases in the U.S. may have been more than 80 times greater and doubled nearly twice as fast as originally believed. In a paper published today, June 22nd, this was yesterday, in the journal Science uh, Transla- uh, Translational Medicine, researchers estimated that the detection rate of symptomatic COVID-19 cases using the CDC's prevention uh, influenza-like illness surveillance data over a three-week period in March 2020. We analyzed each state's um, illness uh, surveillance data cases to estimate the number that could not be attributed to influenza and were in excess of seasonal baseline levels. When you subtract these out, you're left with what we're calling excess ILI, cases that can't be explained by either influenza or the typical seasonal variation of respiratory pathogens. The researchers found the excess ILI showed a nearly perfect correlation with the spread of COVID-19 around the country. And again, you know, people like Justin Hart, others, on, you know, some of these guys on Twitter you see did a great job showing this very early on. We also now know, I mean, Italy's saying now they've confirmed the spread from December, a week before Christmas. And again, we have even more travel from China than they, than they do. There's no reason it wasn't here. It spread earlier, much wider. So lockdowns were stupid. Lockdowns would have never helped. That's why, indeed, they didn't help. That's why many more people had this. And that's why this whole thing is just a god-awful lie. Remarkably, the size of the observed surge of excess ILI corresponds to more than 8.7 million new cases during the last three weeks of March, compared to the roughly 100,000 cases that were officially reported during that same period. So the official number during that period was 100,000 cases. They believe it was 8.7 million. Okay. Um, so in New York, for example, the researchers' model suggested that at least 9% of the state's entire population was infected at the end of March. By now, I'm sure it's a lot higher, but this is at the end of March. After the state conducted antibody testing on 3,000 residents, they found 13.9% infection rate, um, 2.7 million. Excess ILI appears to have peaked in mid-March, as the researchers suggest. Fewer patients with mild symptoms sought care, and states implemented interventions which led to lower transmission rates. I don't agree with that. Um, I think what's happened also now is that the virus has weakened. So that's the story. I mean, this is a big deal. Could you imagine what Texas's hospitalization data would have looked like if you would have had full, typical flow into a hospital, ERs and ORs, in late March, early April, with the testing capability we have today, and we would have tested everyone and counted that as a COVID hospitalization? So in order to see... In order to judge a spike, you have to understand where you're coming from. That's the big lie here. And finally, I'll end off by reading you one more article. This is none other than the right-wing Los Angeles Times. Alarmed by spiking coronavirus numbers, here's why officials insist they aren't worried. Okay? Bartenders of the weekend began mixing drinks, gyms turned on elliptical machines, and nail salons began polishing away as L.A. County reopened more of its economy 
even as coronavirus cases continue to rise. The county, a hotbed of COVID-19 in California, now has reported more than 3,000 deaths and 80,000 confirmed cases. The rise in case numbers have sparked some worry about whether the economy is reopening too quickly and that easing stay-at-home orders could cause new outbreaks. But health officials continue to discount those concerns, saying total new cases is not the best measure of community spread because of aggressive levels of new testing. They point to other metrics they say show that the local outbreak has stabilized. The two key indicators, the positivity rate and the average number of daily hospitalizations, have continued to remain relatively stable, while average daily deaths have declined. Okay, so these are these are California officials saying this. You could read the full article. Again, it's titled, Alarmed by Spiking Coronavirus Numbers. Here's why officials insist they aren't worried. So we're going to keep on top of this. We're going to keep on the truth. But back to our original point. The president needs to make it stick. He needs to stop funding more stimulus to help the states lock people down. Because now a lot of them are moving back to that. Okay? With this, with this lie about, about the spike. And, or or it's, it's a really misleading obfuscation. He needs to make it stick on corona fascism. He needs to make it stick on going after crime and pushing law and order. He needs to make it stick on going after rioters and protecting the monuments. He needs to make it stick on preserving our culture. He promised to make America great again. But I think I would die to go back to our security cultural level of 2016. I know that sounds crazy. Obama was president. But if we could redo this again, the spike in the debt and welfare and dependency in clamping down on, on, on liberty and anarchy and the culture, I'd, I'd sure go back again and try to fight better. Stop promising big and delivering small. Stop carrying. Stop speaking loud or loudly and carrying a white flag. Put some teeth into it, Mr. President. Make it stick. Tomorrow, we'll try to have a special guest on the show to delve more into the virus. We're, again, we're also going to be covering the anarchy as well and any Supreme Court opinion that comes out this week. That's why you have to make conservativereview.com, blaze.com. Uh, you are your uh, number one and two websites. Uh, send the show to your friends and relatives. Subscribe to see our podcast. You could... Join or sign up for our private and public Facebook pages, Miniman Speak Easy and Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. See you guys tomorrow. Take care. Take care.